I thought my life was coming to an end. I was in third grade, and I was learning how to write. I was in a writing class, and I was learning sort of this, this foreign language, this foreign script that I don't even think we know anymore, and it was called cursive, okay? Um, I, don't, I don't even think that's something that, that people take time to learn anymore. Maybe we have to do it uh, because we're signing our name, but that's probably about it. But I was in this writing class, and you've got to understand something. Uh, I was not a friend of, uh, of school. I did, I did not enjoy uh, education. I did not enjoy uh, learning and, and understanding and an increasing of that. Uh, so my favorite parts about it were the times that I get to hang out with my friends, and then my two favorite subjects were PE and recess, right? That's everybody's favorite subjects, right? At least that's what I thought. And so here I am in this writing class, and I, it's the one that's right before recess, and you sort of, you're just done with it, and you're ready to go. I'm getting antsy. There's only a few minutes left, and I decide that I want to raise my hand, and I want to ask this question. And so the teacher calls on me and says, yes, Joby, do you have a question? And I said, yes, um, how long until recess? Now, you would have thought I killed her or something, right? All of a sudden, this teacher gave me this look with these very stern eyes, and she said my last name, which is never a good thing, right, either by your parents or by a teacher. And she said, well, Mr. Crane, since you're so excited about recess today, I'm going to make you sit out for 10 minutes while everybody else gets to play. Now, I thought my life was coming to an end. I absolutely loved recess. And now here I was not getting the opportunity to participate in it. And back in that time and at that age, 10 minutes was like an eternity, right? But all through elementary school, even through middle school, high school, and even I would say up to the end of sort of my college years, I just, I just didn't have this affection or this desire to grow in my knowledge of really of anything. It was one of those things, and some of y'all maybe in this room can relate, some of y'all maybe not, uh, but I, I, I just didn't enjoy it. I didn't want it. I just wanted the easy way out. I was sort of lazy when it came to it, right? Uh, it would be a last-minute preparation type of thing for me, and a lot of times maybe my mind would get me through it, maybe not. Uh, but it was one of those things that when I got into the end of my college years and even into seminary, all of a sudden I began to absolutely love and, and to cherish that, that gaining of knowledge and of understanding. And it was something that I didn't appreciate, and I wish I would have appreciated it growing up so that I could learn more. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at and we're going to see today sort of what God thinks of this, this gaining of knowledge. And not just any knowledge, obviously, but this gaining of knowledge of salvation and ultimately of Him and how it's a wonderful and it's a, it's a good thing. And so turn with me, if you will. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going through the same section of Scripture we've been going through for the past couple of weeks or so. And uh, we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. It's found on page 856 of your pew Bible, which is that black Bible right there in front of you. If you do not have a Bible uh, and you need one and you want one, uh, you can definitely take that one home with you today. We would love for you uh, to have that as a gift from us here at Perimeter Road. 
as we continue to try to purify the church and penetrate the culture in Valdosta, Georgia. But stand with me, if you will, um, as we were getting some exercise today, right, Clint? Um, stand with me, if you will, and we're going to read. I'm going to read the entire section, the entire pericope of Scripture there that we have been going through of 67 through 80, but I'm just going to be focusing on one verse. I have the great challenge today of preaching through just one verse, okay? Um, so this will be amazing. So Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. It says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. You may be seated. We're going to be looking at and focusing on verse 77, but I'm going to read 76 and 77 together because they're a complete thought there. But it says here, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Now, we're talking about here, this is Zechariah's prophecy, okay? This is his song. They call it the Benedictus. And this is him talking about his child, John, that is going to come and to prepare the way for Jesus. So when it says, and you, child, is talking about John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord Jesus there is who it's talking about to prepare his ways and to do what? And to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. So there is a knowledge that is going to be given of salvation. And so knowledge is an important thing. The gaining of knowledge is a good thing. Now I know knowledge can sometimes it can puff up, right? But that's when the knowledge has been, uh, been maybe a bad knowledge or a knowledge that maybe is not taken in the right way that maybe somebody has gotten too prideful with. But we see here that a knowledge of salvation was the first way that we see John preparing the way for Jesus. If you would, keep your finger on Luke chapter 1 because we're going to come back to it. But turn with me, if you will, to 2 Peter. And I'm going to show you where this word knowledge is mentioned uh, numerous times within the scriptures. And we're going to learn more about it. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking in verses 2 through 8. It's on page 1018 of your pew Bibles. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Now remember, whenever a word is repeated over and over again within the Scriptures, it is highlighted, it is boldface, it is very important, and you need to pay attention to it, okay? So here we're going to see knowledge mentioned five times in 2 through 8. As 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 2. It says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. There it is. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in what? Or by what? The knowledge of God. So grace and peace is multiplied because of this knowledge, all right? 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge of him. So if you want to have his divine power granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through what? The knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For or because this very reason we make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with what self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities what qualities is it talking about it's talking about the virtue it's talking about the knowledge it's talking about the self-control it's talking about the steadfastness it's talking about the godliness it's talking about the brotherly affection it's talking about the love if these qualities are yours and are doing what and are increasing, they keep you from what? Being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So knowledge is a good thing. And the gaining of knowledge is a good thing. Ultimately, if you think about it, whether it's math, whether it's science, whatever it is, ultimately God has created those things and he has ordered those things. And for us to grow in the knowledge of God and of who he is, is a good thing as long as we don't allow it to do what? To puff us up. But we live in a day and a time where people have all of a sudden decided that they're going to sort of make up their own knowledge and their own truth, don't we? Maybe it's because they're lazy Maybe it's because they don't want to actually do the work. Maybe it's because they don't want to actually believe the absolute truth. But we live in a day and time where whatever you believe for you is right and whatever you believe for you is right. We live sort of in this postmodern era where all of a sudden people have just said, hey, I think that this is what is true, that this is what knowledge is really all about. But the crazy thing is, is that we're sort of moving out of that postmodern era and we're moving through into a time of conceptualism. And what that means is this is even a little bit stranger. Because now it's all of a sudden, it's just whatever you sort of want to fantasize or whatever you sort of want to just sort of make up in your mind, now all of a sudden that is truth. If you want to gain knowledge, you can just sort of make it up and whatever is in there trapped in your little mind, right? Now the struggle with that is the fact that there is absolute truth, isn't there? Every Christian in this room should say, absolutely, there is absolute truth. And it doesn't matter what you think may be right for you over here or what you think may be right for you over here. Whatever you want to fantasize or you want to make up, there's still an absolute truth that's going to affect you whether you want it to or not. Because we all know that one day Christ is going to return whether you believe that or not or whether you want to fantasize about that or not, right? And it's going to affect you. Not only temporarily, but for what? Eternity, isn't it? And so growing in this knowledge is a good thing. Now, one thing that also can frustrate me at times is when we can have pastors sitting behind pulpits who want to claim that knowledge is not a good thing. They want to say they want to be Holy Spirit-led sometimes. I hear them say that. And now I want to be Holy Spirit-led. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to get up there and do the work that is necessary in the mind that God has given me to speak the truth to the people that are there. Instead, what they're really saying is that I'm lazy. What they're really saying is that, hey, I don't want to do the work in God's scripture and the understanding of theology, and I just want to get up here and say whatever I think comes to my mind. 
And I'm going to tell you there's Southern Baptist pastors that do that. There's also other pastors that do that as well. But don't let them fool you. You're not that dumb, are you? That you would sit there and listen to somebody who didn't take the time to prepare, who didn't take the time to get into God's word and to study God's word so that he can preach it and proclaim it to you? Don't tell me theology is not important. It's the most important thing about you. Theology affects your life. It affects your marriage. It affects how you live. It affects how you discipline your children. It affects everything about you. To tell me that you don't want to increase in your theology is ignorant. It's dumb. However many other ways you want me to say that word. But we see here going back to Luke chapter 1, the first way it says, for you will go before the Lord to do what? To prepare his ways. And how is he going to do this? To do what? To give knowledge of what? Of salvation. Now, this word sometimes uh, is also interchangeably used. Salvation is used of the Savior. So here, as John is coming onto the scene and is going to prepare the way for Jesus, he's going to be giving the people a knowledge of salvation or of the Savior. He's going to be increasing their knowledge in that. Now, as I think through this, I have to think that there are mainly two main ways that I can think that the knowledge of the Savior or of salvation is increased. And one of those ways is by the reading of his word. Do we increase the knowledge of salvation and of the Savior by the reading of his word? Absolutely. The 66 books that are contained in here, the 39 in the old, the 27 in the new, this is the inerrant, infallible word of God. It was written by human hands. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's the actual words of God. We actually have it in our own language, which people died for. So it's not something that I'm just coming to you reading something that you can't read yourself. So one way, one main way that we can increase in the knowledge of salvation and of the Savior is through the Bible. Now, I just want to read to you some verses, some words of God that he has to say about his Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. What does it say? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. All scripture is what? <sighs> breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that you may be equipped for what? For every good work. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You want to have direction in your life? You don't know, want to know where to go? You got to be doing what? You got to be in his word. You got to be reading his word. Joshua 1, 8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it, what? Day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your ways prosperous, and then you will have what? Good success. You want to make your ways prosperous? You want to have good success? It's not about the money you make. It's not about how many people show up to your event. Guess what it is? It's not allowing the word to depart from your mouth, but meditating on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to what it says. Matthew 4, 4, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by what? By bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There is a sustenance to it, right? 
We need to live off of it, right? It sustains us. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We see it as an offensive weapon there, right? Romans 15.4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. It gives us hope, Right? Because it gives us knowledge of that Savior and of salvation. 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. We need to make sure that we are doing what? That we are living by this book. That we are reading this book. That we are cherishing this book. That we're seeing how important this book is in our lives. Why? Because it's the very words of God. You need to be increasing in the knowledge of salvation of the Savior. And one of the best ways to do that is by reading his revelation to us. You want to be a friend of God? You got to know who God is, right? So you got to be in his book. So many times I get so frustrated at myself. I get angry and hopefully it's a righteous anger, but I get angry because I allow this book to get put on the back burner. Here I am a pastor admitting that to you. But so many times what ends up happening is my night, maybe uh, it didn't go quite like I thought it would. Maybe the kids kept us up. Uh, Maybe I didn't get as much sleep. Uh, Maybe this happened or that happened. And then what happens? I end up putting this at the back burner. This becomes second fiddle to the other things in my life. Because why? Those other things are more important? How dumb is that? So one little thing messes up my day. And then all of a sudden I say, well, you know what? I don't have time for this because my sleep is more important right now. I don't have time for this because I got to do this. But yet the very thing that it says what? Will help me to be fruitful. Will help me to be effective. Will help me to be successful. Will help to prosper me. It's found where? Here. I need to have it on my mouth. I need to live by it. Right? But so many times we allow this book to play second fiddle to all the other things that are in our lives. We make excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse, and we don't spend time in this book. All the time, people come into my office, and they're in this lull, right? And they're trying to get out. And they're wanting me to pull some pill out that's glowing blue and give it to them, and this is going to answer all their problems. No. You've got to get into his words. You've got to pray. You've got to meditate. I know doctors love to give you medication, but guess what? They're not going to fix the problem that I'm trying to fix. Only God can do that, right? And so you need to be in this book. You need to know about him. You need to further your knowledge in that. You need to appreciate the mind that God has given you and use it to serve him. The second place that I see besides the scriptures, besides the Bible, that we can grow in this knowledge of salvation and of the Savior is in the church. Let me read some verses about the church from the very words of God. Acts 20, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained, what? With his own blood. How important is the church to God? His son died for it. He shed his blood for it. 
Ephesians 2, 20 through 22, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Colossians 1, 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Ephesians 5, 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually you are members of it. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wife as what? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We see all throughout scripture where we see how important the church is to Christ. The body of believers is. He's the head. We are the body. We need to be a part of that body. We don't need to allow the Bible or the church to play second fiddle to anything that is in our lives. And so many times we do that. If we want to increase in the knowledge of salvation or of the Savior, we need to be reading our Bibles and we need to be a part of the body of believers, the church. There's one thing that I'm very appreciative of, and that's my parents. They didn't teach me anything else. They taught me this, is that I needed to be in church Because every Wednesday night, every Sunday, every Sunday night, I was there. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I would probably not be standing up here on the stage right now if it wasn't for that being modeled within my life. But parents, what are you teaching your children? Those times that you allow other things to get in place of you going to church. Well, maybe I'm hungry. Maybe there's some sporting event that I want to watch on TV. Uh, Maybe I'm tired. Maybe I just don't really want to go today. Every time what is happening in that moment, in that time, your children are looking at you and they're saying, oh, it must not be that important. But yet the knowledge of salvation and the Savior can be increased in that moment, in that time, and you're going to tell me that it's not that important. Think about it. It's of utmost importance. Christ died for his church. He died for her. That's the bride of Christ. It says, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Now, if you notice here, what's happening here is that John is going before, he is proclaiming, he is preaching the word, right? He's preaching this knowledge of salvation or of the Savior. And so we can see the proclaiming of the word, the preaching of the word happening right here in the very beginning as John is preparing the way for Jesus to come. But notice who he is giving this knowledge of salvation to. Who does it say? To his people to God's people. So as we come up here and as we preach on a Sunday morning, we are preaching to the body of believers. We are preaching to the church. 
What message are we preaching? It's the same one every single Sunday, whether you realize it or not. It's that knowledge of salvation or of the Savior. It's the gospel. And some of you, as you hear me say that, you say, well, I know that. I don't need to hear it again. No, you need to hear it again because you're surrounded by idiots who are telling you some knowledge that they made up themselves, right? Some fantasy world that they live in and they want to impart it on you and make you believe it as well. So you need to hear it again. You need to hear it over and over and over and over and over again because you so soon forget. I so soon forget. And I need to hear it over and over and over again as well. Now, I know that as we're sitting in here, not everybody in here probably is a believer, right? There's a good chance that that's the case, and that is a good thing. But first and foremost, I am preaching to God's people, but I am preaching the gospel. So if they hear that message and all of a sudden God draws them to themselves and they believe as well, then amen to that. Praise the Lord for the work that he has done in their lives. But may you not neglect the church. May you come to hear the proclamation, the preaching of his word, and may you be increased in the knowledge of salvation and of the Savior. And may you never forget the importance of that. So to give the knowledge of salvation to his people, verse 77, and it says what? In the forgiveness of their sins. So what is John going to do here? He's preparing the way, why or how, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by or in or with the forgiveness of their sins. So salvation is not coming unless what happened? Sins are what? Forgiven. Now you've got to understand there was 400 years of silence. This was a message that had not been preached in a while, okay? We see it within the Old Testament, but now it was something that they had probably forgotten or maybe had not heard before. It's the first place we see here in the Gospels of this forgiveness of their sins being talked about. But we know that John came with a message uh, with the baptism of what? Repentance and what? The forgiveness of sins. And so here, if you notice, it says the forgiveness of whose sins? Of their sins or of our sins. So if they have to be forgiven of their sins, that means they actually have what? Sinned, right? Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, it tells us that, doesn't it? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We also know that the wages of that sin is what? Is death, right? But if you notice in verse 71, going back in Luke chapter 1, it says that we should be saved from our enemies. Verse 74, what does it say? That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. I guarantee you that when they were thinking of enemies in Zechariah's prophecy, they were probably thinking of this political enemy. They were thinking of Rome is what they were thinking of. They wanted a king to come who was going to save them, not from their sins, but ultimately to save them from the oppression that they were having from Rome. That's what they were thinking, that he was going to bring what? These legion of armies, and he was going to absolutely wipe out the Roman Empire, and then they could rebuild the temple. They could tear down all the Roman stuff and architecture, and they could rebuild the temple, and it was going to be like the days of Solomon, right? That's what they thought. But then all of a sudden, Jesus comes onto the scene and he does something different than they thought. Instead, he gave himself up on a cross and he died on the cross for what? For their sins. We've got to understand that their biggest problem was not Rome. Their biggest problem was God. 
Because when we have sin, guess what? If we haven't been forgiven of that sin, we are at enmity with God. Now, for some of you, I know that may sound harsh, that may sound bad, but it is the truth. Because if you still have sin in your life and you have not put your trust and your faith in Christ and in Christ alone, the wrath of God is one day going to come upon you if that does not happen. And all of a sudden, God becomes your biggest problem in a sense. And that was theirs, but they didn't realize it. They thought it was Rome. They wanted to be freed from that enemy, not from God, when really they needed to be forgiven of their sins and freed from the wrath of God. We've got to understand that we worship a holy and righteous God. And because of the fact that we worship a holy and righteous God, there can be no sin in his presence. Well, we have inherited the sin, right, from Adam and Eve. We have messed up and marred that image. We have a sinful nature that is inside of us. Now, all of a sudden, how are we going to have that relationship with God again? Well, God being a loving God, he provided that way, but also God being a just God, a debt had to be paid for that sin. And so the debt was paid, how? By his son, by the unblemished lamb, by the perfect sin-free sacrifice. And so when Jesus Christ got up on that cross and died in our place, that means that debt was paid for because the debt had to be paid. And ultimately what happened to Jesus Christ should have happened to us, right? What a God that we worship. It says later on in verse 78, and I'm not getting into that verse, but it says because of the tender mercy of our God, because of God withholding his wrath from us. That's what mercy is, when we so rightly deserve it. You know, when it talks about the forgiveness of their sins here, it is talking about forgiveness in the fact that your sins are wiped clean. It's as if it never happened. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I go and I claim that I forgive someone, I still am holding sort of this grudge against them, or maybe I don't really forgive them at times. Well, that's not the forgiveness that we're talking about here. So all your past, present, and future sins have been forgiven by the blood that Jesus shed on that cross, and it's as if it never happened. It's been wiped clean. That's an amazing God that we serve. And that's what forgiveness should actually look like when we're talking about going and forgiving others as well. We forgive because he first forgave us, right? We love because he first loved us. And so it should be as if it never happened. So knowledge is a good thing. Knowledge of salvation and of the Savior and an increasing in that knowledge is a wonderful and beautiful thing. Continue to grow in that knowledge. Continue to love that knowledge. Continue to cherish that each and every day. Don't allow your laziness to get the best of you and think, oh, I don't need to worry about that or I don't need to learn more about that. No. What does it help you to do? It causes you to be more fruitful. It causes you to be more effective. It helps you to succeed and to prosper when that word of God is on your lips day and night. Read his word. Be a part of his church. There's a quote that I think maybe I have said before. It's uh, by one of my wife's favorite theologians. 
and I'm going to say it again because it fits so well here, but by Jen Wilkin, she says that the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. As you continue to increase in this knowledge of salvation and of the Savior, through the reading of your word, through being a part of a church that is proclaiming the gospel, it all of a sudden, it does what? It gets into your mind, and then hopefully it makes its way down to your heart, and your heart begins to love it, and when it gets to that point, all of a sudden, you begin to do what? You begin to live by it. You begin to see it affecting your life day in and day out. But if your mind does not know those things, then how is your heart going to be able to love it? Increase this knowledge of salvation and of the Savior. Learn more about God and about who He is and what He's done for you on the cross. Know how important it is to realize that this this book is the very words of God and that Christ died for the church, that He shed His blood. And that as the beady says, Christian without a church is like a bride without a groom. It's not possible. May you live by that today. May you love that today. May you cherish that today. May you see the importance of knowing who God is and how he has ordered things and put things in place here on this earth. May you always be reminded of that each and every day, and may your heart begin to love it. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much, God, for all that you have given us, all that you have done for us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, just for your Bible and for your church, God, which you have set up for us over many, 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 many years, God. And you have brought it to us here, God. And Lord, I just pray that we would cherish it, that we would love it, that we would want to live by it, God, that we would increase in that knowledge of salvation and of the Savior, that we would see a need for it, God. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us in that endeavor, Lord. As we may be deceived by Satan, God, or by the world, or may our hearts may also deceive us, God, that we would begin to fight against that, God, that you would begin to soften up our hearts and want us to cherish that knowledge and to increase that knowledge and to enter into our hearts where we can begin to live by it, God. Lord, I pray that you would just be with us in that each and every day of our lives and that you would help us, God, just to live by that, God, and to love that. Lord, you're an amazing God, and we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, that you sent to die the most horrific death possible on the cross for us. May we be reminded of that today as we continue to increase in our knowledge of salvation and of the Savior. We pray this in your son's precious name, through the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. Amen.